Welcome to The Wood Podcast, where we explore solutions to some of the world's most critical challenges in energy and the built environment. I'm your host, Lauren Gallagher. Thank you for joining the third episode of Confronting the PFAS Challenge, where wood experts will discuss trends driving the switch from aqueous film-forming foams, or AFFF, to fluorine-free foams, common misconceptions, and effective transition strategies. Today's experts will provide a better understanding of how to become future-ready when it comes to firefighting foams. Joining us today, we have two members of Wood's PFAS workgroup, Shailene Thomas and Julius Kreisig. Shailene is a leading advisor on strategically managing PFAS challenges and serves as Wood's Global Emerging Contaminant Program Manager. Shailene joins us from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Julius Kreisig works as an economist assessing the design and potential impacts of environmental regulation. Julius joins us from Calgary, Alberta. And finally, we also have a special guest from the Last Fire Project, Project Coordinator Neil Ramston. Last Fire is an industry group reviewing the risks associated with storage tank fires. Neil joins us from the UK. Thank you all for joining today. There's increasing momentum around ending the use of PFAS-containing foams for firefighting due to their toxicity. States and countries are banning their use. Alternatively, there are many PFAS-free foam alternatives available. However, a full transition for military, oil and gas, and airport use are proving more difficult as they work to address this complex challenge. What new trends will spur the switch to fluorine-free foams? Thanks, Lauren. So I really think the switch to fluorine-free foam will really be based on a handful of trending elements, uh, the first being the impetus for change. And by that, I mean, really, as with most environmental challenges, regulatory and legislative drivers are generally the impetus for change. Uh, we've seen substantial amount of activity around that uh, here in the U.S., in Canada, and elsewhere. The second point will be the technical basis for the change. Is there performance specifications in place to allow for an effective and safe alternative to be used? And in fact, is there an effective and safe alternative available? Uh, the third training element is industry acknowledgement and concurrence. So AFFF does span a multitude of industry users uh, and several industries have adopted that this is an inevitable fate, while others are slower adopters. The last being disposal of AFFF as you do your transition plan. Um, and for this, really, um, there's a lot of consternation around disposal activities right now, um, and if and where and how AFFF should be disposed of. Julius, do you have anything to comment on? I absolutely agree with the with the points you mentioned, and you mentioned first the uh, um, regulatory drivers, uh, and and I, I really want to um, underline that and support that and and give a little bit of a deep dive. Um, so, would supported the European Commission and the European Chemicals Agency um, to assess potential regulation of uh, PFAS-based firefighting foams. Um, so, we help them to estimate the emissions of PFAS from the use of firefighting foams and assess the technical and economic feasibility of replacing these foams with alternatives that are fluorine-free. Uh, yeah, and based on that, we uh, evaluated the potential options for further EU regulations um, and what the socioeconomic impacts 
might be of um, those regulations. And ultimately, the European Commission decided to proceed with, um, with proposing a ban on PFAS in firefighting foams. And currently, ECA, the European Chemicals Agency, is preparing the details of that ban. So what the timeline will be, whether any exemptions will be necessary and so on. Uh, and, and that will then proceed with the legislative process. So that shows that really the, the regulatory drivers, they're, they're, they're coming, um, where they're not already there. I think both of you make some very good points there. Uh, I tend to work in the oil and gas industry and the aviation industry, so they're fairly high hazard industries. Both those sectors want to do the right thing, so that's one of the driving forces. But the most important one is taking a pragmatic approach. This is going to happen, whether you like it or not. So it's important to be prepared for it. I attended one of the conferences fairly recently, Julius, and some of the work that your colleagues are involved with, and the European Commission representative there made it very clear this isn't a case of if this is going to happen it's a case of when that's really the only thing that has to be decided how do we balance science politics risk and finance yeah laura i think that's a very good question um, obviously firefighting foams are an important tool to keep people safe uh, particularly in in, in high-risk uh, industries such as neil has mentioned before uh, and um, yeah, therefore we need to assess carefully how we balance the risks or, that are caused by the PFAS emissions to the environment with the risks and costs of transitioning to fluorine-free alternatives and make sure that these alternatives are safe. And that is something that, that Neil uh, and, and, and others are helping with by, by uh, ensuring that they're adequately tested. Shailene, President Biden made a historic commitment that he's going to tackle contamination from PFAS chemicals in his campaign promise. What impact do you think that may have on the firefighting foams? So from the perspective of the Biden administration and the commitments that have been made as they relate to PFAS, I think where AFFF will be affected in this is the potential designation of uh, PFAS or PFAS compounds in the family at, designated as hazardous substances, which will then, of course, require reporting um, reporting of those compounds uh, to regulatory authorities upon use or disposal or spills. Um, so I think when and when and if that designation of a uh, hazardous substance does come into effect, which is part of Biden's um, administrative promises, um, AFFF will be under a much more watchful eye than it has been historically. Transitioning to fluorine-free foams is more complex than simply purchasing a new foam to replace what you're currently using. What are the top three considerations to develop an effective transition strategy? So I, I often find that firms don't really know where to start. It can be a daunting task, especially if you're using AFFF across your organization and you are a national or multinational uh, company. Um, the, really the top three things to me uh, are specifically to review alternatives that are out there. What is available? What are the performance specifications, regulatory requirements, 
uh, by geography and the specific needs that you have for the phone to try and identify the best alternatives. It's not a one size fits all. Uh, secondarily to that, I would say best management practices should be implemented now, um, treating AFFF and any transition to a fluorine-free alternative um, should include a best management practice documentation. And lastly, I would say identifying what training will be required and the timeline upon which you're going to do the transition so that you can do it in an effective and safe manner and one that's financially acceptable and easily absorbed for the organization. I think it's important to remember or to emphasize that some oil companies have already made that transition. Actually, some have made it completely, some have made it partially, taking a risk-based approach. There are some outstanding concerns still, because obviously the main priority is to make sure that this actually does the job. It actually extinguishes fires. There are a few gaps in the knowledge that we're working on, particularly, for example, for large storage tank fires. And I think the critical thing is to make sure it works, but also optimise its application. Yeah, Neil, and I would like to pick up on that, on, on the, the optimization point. Um, there are several different um, factors, both in terms of costs and potential savings that are related to the transition. Um, so obviously you need to purchase new foams, but uh, there's also the disposal of the current stock of PFAS foams to consider that can be costly. You need to uh, consider that you potentially have to clean or replace some of the equipment that you've been using that you may have to train some of the firefighters to use the new foams. Um, but there are several opportunities for savings as well. So for instance, there is uh, re reduced costs for cleanup or remediation after some of the firefighting foam has uh, gotten into the environment because the um, fluorine-free foams um, may contain less persistent chemicals and hence the cleanup and remediation are, um, are more easy. Um, similarly, um, the uh, fire water runoff um, needs to be treated and the treatment costs may be much lower if there is no PFAS contained in the fire water runoff. And as a third point, also there are lower costs for disposing of foams when they are uh, when they have reached their expiry dates. I think you make some very good points there, Julius. This is an opportunity to look at that and say, well, let's go back to basics in some cases, not just replace what we're doing, but actually go back and say, what do we really need? So let's see it as an opportunity. It has risen to a level where across all fire user communities, um, they have their eye on it so much so that the National Fire Protection Association uh, Research Foundation has just launched a new project. Uh, both Niall and I are on the project technical panel and it's uh, essentially to develop a fire service roadmap. Um, which is a detailed roadmap as to how best to transition and answer some of these questions in a bigger, broader way. And we're, I'm very excited to be a part of that panel, as I'm sure Niles is as well. Absolutely. And it, it just reflects what Lars Har has been doing for some time, trying to develop this roadmap for industry. And you made another good point from that. Each industry sector has something to learn from the others. And again, I'll emphasize it's important to work together on this.
Traditionally, many end users of PFAS-containing firefighting foams have seen it as the go-to solution for handling critical scenarios. What are the biggest misconceptions around using fluorine-free foams? So really, the fact that the misconception that there are no good fluorine-free replacements on the market is a misconception. You know, European airports transitioned more than a decade ago and have been effectively using uh, fluorine-free alternatives. So I, I think oftentimes that puzzles many users. It puzzles the public and sends a very mixed message as to why is this such a challenge? And there it is a very complicated uh, evaluation that needs to take place, both on what is in fact needed um, for the purpose for that individual sector or user. I think where this misconception comes from is that uh, currently there are no fluorine-free replacements um, that are approved for mil-specified or mil-spec AFFF use or foam use. Um, so that, that is feeding that misconception and the Department of Defense is working very hard right now to identify um, a suitable replacement that meets that mill specification. Yes, yeah, Charlene, again, another good point. Uh, we're learning all the time. Only yesterday I was talking to one of the last five members, a major international oil company who was telling me about an incident where a fluorine-free foam was used successfully. And that's the sort of information we need to learn from it as well. Another misconception is uh, that all fluorine-free foams are created equally. Um, so just identifying that a fluorine-free alternative is, is not good uh, is also a bit of a misnomer because there are several fluorine-free foams on the market that are adequate and suitable. Also, um, fluorine-free foams are not completely free of any hazards on human health or the environment. There are um, chemicals and potentially dangerous chemicals in all types of foams, also in fluorine-free foams. But it remains a fact that, that PFAS are a very persistent, um, problematic group of chemicals that needs to be addressed. I think it's also important to recognize that there's a lot of ongoing development in uh, this business. That what might have been true even six months ago isn't true now, because all the suppliers are working hard to meet the requirements of the industry. It's very important not to be generic and make these statements, fluorine-free phones work or don't work, because the things are changing constantly and very quickly. I've learned a lot today about the challenges and strategies to begin the transition journey. Can you give us one key takeaway for our listeners? I think for me, it's to start now and don't really wait for a regulatory driver if you don't have one yet. Um, it's evident that we've learned across industries that all foams, regardless of if you're using an AFFF foam or a fluorine-free alternative, are chemical-based. And they should be managed under the assumption that they may potentially be hazardous substances and or are hazardous substances. Um, so it's imperative to, to start now, identify best management practices to manage the foam regardless of what the foam is. Yeah, I think it's important to recognize that 
the transition is, is a big change. And of course, any change comes with challenges and, and it comes with costs and risks, but it also comes with opportunities and it is the sensible thing to do and it is inevitable. And I think I'll cheat a little bit and make two points. It's important to get the whole package right. That's approvals, standards, system design standards, testing, end user input, industry experience, all of these things have to come together. But my main point is, we should see this as an opportunity to get something right for the long-term sustainable future. And that brings us to the close of this episode of Confronting the PFAS Challenge, where we explored becoming future ready for the fluorine-free foam transition. If you'd like to connect with today's guests or explore related insights, please visit us at woodplc.com podcast, where you can also subscribe and receive updates to the Wood Podcast. At Wood, our curiosity keeps us pushing, innovating, making the impossible possible. Thank you for joining us today on this journey. Take care and be well.